Hello, and welcome to the Millennial Nutritionist Podcast. I'm Isla Garcia, Master's Degree of Nutrition Science and Registered Dietitian, and I'm going to make weight loss realistic, sustainable, and uncomplicated for your busy lifestyle. On this podcast, me and my team of registered dietitians will decipher the latest nutrition research, dissect fad diets, and discuss social media trends for you so you can feel confident knowing what to eat to achieve your health goals. Research suggests that most weight loss programs aren't successful, but my experience has taught me that this is not because the participants aren't committed. It's because those diets are designed by non-nutrition professionals and center around severe restrictions. We are here to provide the facts about the science of weight loss so you can have the success you want and continue living your best life. Welcome back to the Millennial Nutritionist Podcast. It's Isla, your host, CEO, and founder of the Millennial Nutritionist Company. Today, I wanted to tackle a topic that is an integral part of our program for weight loss and just overall health, regardless if you're trying to lose weight. This topic is going to be important to you. So today we're going to kind of give a, I guess, like an overview of about like fruits and vegetables and specifically like how to eating locally and, and what that looks like. Um, and Sarah is going to join us on this episode today. She's been helping us kind of behind the scenes. And I guess some in front of the scenes, making some content for us on the membership page, millennial living, and also some blog posts for us. So I thought I'd bring her on and have her talk about her expertise with this topic. So thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah. So a little bit about how I know Sarah. Sarah, again, went to Meredith College with me, Lacey, <laughs> Catherine. Um, and so Sarah and I know each other really well for a long time. Did a lot of our classes together. I guess even went to grad school together, right? Um, and then you were an intern where I first had my first job. I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you taught me in the hospital. Yeah. Um, and so Sarah kind of asked if she, you know, I needed any help with anything and wanted to make some content and we're always looking for people to help with content. And I know that she's super well-versed in these things after being in so many classes with her and watching her do food demos and stuff. So that's how I kind of linked up with her and brought her on, but let's get into you. Can you tell us about yourself a little bit so that we can know why you're qualified to talk about all these things? So maybe starting about like where you went to school, where you went from there, and then like your professional experience. So my name is Sarah Hester. Like you said, I'm from North Carolina. I'm still based in North Carolina. Um, I went to undergrad and graduate at Meredith, like you said, both degrees in nutrition. Um, And then that one-year program after that internship um, in nutrition to sit for the exam to be a registered dietitian. So that's like my credentials. Um, But a little bit about me. I've been working since I was 16, Um, kind of like you, I was a waitress, that was my first job, and I got to see the food system there, and that kind of was a clicking moment about nutrition and the importance it plays, Um, so I've always kind of worked in food, but a lot of different random things in food, like um, during college, I worked for some of our nutrition professors and helping grade exams, create assignments. We also had a campus garden that I worked in a lot. Um, I worked at a few food companies and I did food demos. So I was like the Costco lady with the samples, um, trying to sell food products. I worked at some farmer's markets and sold there and also helped manage some. I worked for the state in auditing some government nutrition programs for kids. Um, After I graduated undergrad, I didn't know I was going to grad school. So I moved to Charleston and I worked for a food bank for a summer with AmeriCorps. I have kind of all volunteered all over the place. Um, You probably have talked about it before, but that dietetic internship, just to even be accepted to one, you have to be very well-rounded in nutrition and you have to have, I don't know what it was. It was a certain crazy amount of hours of volunteering and experience um, so that they know you're ready to work with patients. So I've done all of that. And um, what kind of led me into produce and working with produce, we'll talk about it more, is I had an internship working with a produce company trying to get more local farmers into that produce company and bring more local produce into the mainstream food system, which is an issue um, and that we need more of. Um, And so I, that started like my journey that I really liked working in the food system. So yeah, uh, right now I work for a wholesale produce company and we also have a side of a nonprofit um, that I get to do lots of fun stuff with fresh produce. So I do demos, I do um, all different types of work. 
Cool. Right. Okay. So you are a registered dietitian, but you didn't really choose the route of like seeing clients one-on-one in like any setting whatsoever. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't feel like clinical, like in hospitals was the place for me. I really like, well, it's a great place to see like the end and what can go wrong with nutrition and how preventative nutrition can be. And I feel like we all kind of feel that way, um, being dietitians and like who you're working with. Um, but that just was not the space for me and like working one-on-one and I really like seeing and making big change in the food system. So yeah, on that level. Cool. Awesome. And then one more question from that. How do you feel like being a registered dietitian, um, is like helps you with those jobs, even though they don't, do they need, do you have to be a registered dietitian to take those jobs? I'm guessing not. Um, and if they don't, then why is being a registered dietitian, like really helpful for you there? I work and I, in wholesale produce. So I'm doing things that are kind of menial that you don't have to be a dietitian, like ordering cases of produce. Um, a lot of dietitians actually do that when they help manage whole kitchens, they'll order all the produce, they'll order all of the inventory and they'll do all of those tasks. Um, but you don't necessarily have to be, but then I actually do a lot of, um, food demo work with our nonprofit and nutrition education. So I'll go into a childcare center or I'll go into a school or, you know, a senior center and I'll do some type of nutrition education lesson. And so I think it's really helpful to know how to present it, how, who, knowing who you're talking to and um, just having that background and confidence really to talk to that person and to share correct information. So that definitely comes into play and it's necessary there. And I'm glad um, my employer sees the importance of employing a registered dietitian, not just anybody. Yeah. And yeah, as do I, I think, you know, registered dietitians as one myself, I greatly value everybody's experience. So I just really want to thoroughly explain that concept to everyone. Um, let's dive into why you wanted to work for us as the company. Um, why, like, why did you even reach out and like, want to do that? I'm working in a way different space and I just want to sharpen my skills and keep them up to date and uh, researching and writing other things. And I've been following you and I know you. And so I know your program and it's weight loss is a tricky thing. Like, um, and I think you do it really well and you're approachable and sustainable. And so I love supporting you and the program and I relate to it. You know, I'm a millennial myself. I work full-time. I'm a wife. I'm a new mom. I have a 13 month old. Um, and so I really relate and I want to help your clients even more. So I think it's really important to start good habits now with us and our families, um, so that you can prevent, um, some things down the road. Great. Yeah. I feel like you're like the least mommy mom that I've ever like really talked to because <laughs> I never hear you really, normally when you meet a mom, you know, like when the first five minutes, but a lot of times oh, I, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Oh, but. <laughs> I think it's a good thing. Cause I feel like you can talk about so many things and it gives you, I think too, even for uh, like our team, you're the only mom on our team. And Lacey um, just oh, announced she was pregnant and she just came on and talked about it. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited for her. He's 13 months. He's a pretty good eater right now. And that's been fun to like watch him. And that is a whole different ball game in itself, trying to figure out how to feed myself and my family and him. And, you know, we could do a whole episode on that. Yeah, no, we definitely should. Um, and then why should people like, like listen to you and like, um, take what you say as, um, I guess like fact, basically like, why does all of this experience help you in, when creating content for the millennial nutritionist audience and clients? I would like to think that I'm relatable and I'm in some of the same situations that some of your clients are. I know you have some, you have some moms that stay home, but are still juggling many kids. You have some moms that are working full time, coming home and cooking or, um, so I'd like to think I'm relatable in that for sure. Um, and also I feel like I'm pretty intentional in all the content that I'm creating and making sure that someone can relate to it. And, um, it's not overwhelming and it's not asking too much. So the article about going to farmer's markets, you know, I'm not, um, assuming that everybody has a farmer's market around and all the things or that you even have time to do that, but Hey, there's, here's the information. Here's why it's beneficial. I'll leave it. Um, for you to decide if you want to go, but here's the yeah. benefits. 
I think you've always done really well with it. And that's why I really like, didn't really have to even think too much about like bringing on the team because I, you have a, a really great way of making things very realistic for people, but even like really good tasty recipes and, and giving information in a really digestible way. So I agree. I think that's really what helps you to be unique in um, how you kind of provide content for our, all of our audience. Do you love our realistic approach on nutrition, but want to dive a little bit deeper? Let me tell you about the millennial living membership program. This was designed to help you stay motivated and inspired no matter what health journey you're on. We develop monthly nutrition and fitness challenges with prizes you can win if you stick with it to help motivate you through every month. To inspire you, we upload weekly recipes with downloadable food lists, monthly food demos, and we can even have a registered dietitian answer your questions on nutrition and weight loss. Our members form a community with other like-minded people to help support each other on their health journey. If you are seeking a way to stay motivated throughout your health journey with our method in mind, try signing up for the Millennial Living Membership Program for the first two weeks free by signing up on our website at themillennialnutritionist.com. But moving on to our article this week. So I've been in this groove of adding this different little segment in for us, just because I never know what people are looking at on the internet since we're an online business, might as well tackle all of these issues head on just in case. Um, So this article that I kind of found that came out this week by the Washington Post, I thought would tie in really well with what we're talking about today. And basically they were trying to cover how you should like store fruits and vegetables to make them last the longest, which is something that our clients do struggle with because they buy all these fruits and vegetables. And one thing I always hear is like, well, I couldn't eat it because it like all went bad. And so they kind of talk about in the article, how you should be storing them. What was your kind of like thoughts on that? Since you're like the fruit and vegetable queen, like, is that correct? Are there certain ways we should be storing it? Anything we should pull from that? It's funny because I work in wholesale fresh produce. So that means like ordering almost like by the case. So a case of zucchini, which sometimes can have like 50 zucchini in it and buying 50 of those cases at one time. So that's like a totally different level than the home kitchen. So I see it on the warehouse side and I see it on the kitchen side. And so my first thought too was like, oh yes, this is why we store things at different temperatures. This is why we don't store things touching each other. Um, so I'm happy to give some insight there and um, the breakdown of or the produ- production of ethylene and um, fruits and vegetables and how to store different things like on like that large scale. But really what I took from this is in the kitchen, if we have a plan for all the produce we buy, or if we buy something and we don't have a plan for it, like that's when we see the spoilage. These fruits and vegetables, when you store them together, the certain varieties stored together, it's not a super quick process, right? Like the reason why we have lettuce in our fridge going bad is because we neglected it usually. Like it's not usually that the apple made it do that. Um, so I think that kind of goes back to like meal planning generally and being realistic in what we're buying um, and then kind of being creative on the other end with how to use it when it's near the end of its life. Great. So I feel like I hear you saying like, yeah, there are, there's like a lot of science to it. And of course you can make it as like complicated as possible when it, when it comes down to like the most practical way to make sure you eat your fruits and vegetables without them going bad. is just to make a plan for it. So they don't just sit too long in there. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can, there are some things that the home chef in the kitchen that I even implement, like Um, We've all seen that bananas go bad quickly or they brown quickly, which is not always a bad thing. You can make it in banana bread or you can freeze it and make a smoothie into those brown bananas. But for like the avocado that we have sitting out, maybe it's rock hard and we're trying to eat it the next day. You could do some tricks and combining, um, let's say like an ethylene producer. That's what this article is talking about. It's the gas that some of the fruits and vegetables emit just naturally it's a gas that helps in the ripening process. So I've even stored like my bananas and my avocado that I want to harden up or soften up together, or maybe putting them in a brown bag together. So all that gas gets trapped. Um, And so you can ripen the one, the avocado a little bit faster, but I mean, those are pretty small. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think, and you and you and Lacey are really great at that. I think that everybody should give you a follow, follow and we should definitely plug your like 
um, Instagram handle at the end, because I even know, cause you do like the salsa ice cubes, right. Or you do like frozen tomato puree or something and you put it in. I always think that's like, such a good idea. I try not to waste food. Um, I'm a real big stickler. So I get a little creative at the end. So I had a barbecue or a cookout at my house and someone brought a huge container of salsa and I love that salsa. It's my favorite. It's fresh. So it kind of goes bad within like a week or two. And I said, there's no way I'm going to eat all this. I don't want to eat all of it. So I just put it in like little ice cube trays and I froze it. And I did eat it the other day. I, I was thinking I would just pop it like into the slow cooker with um, some chicken or like put it on top of rice. Um, I probably wouldn't eat it with chips, like the fresh salsa. Once it's been frozen, I would cook it or incorporate it with something else, but it worked. So having to get creative near the end. Yeah. I think that just ties back into, like you said, planning, being aware of like how much like produce you have on hand and figuring out like what ways you can store it besides just throwing it out instead of having to get like too technical, like the article is saying. Um, but let's dive into kind of the meat of what we wanted to talk about today. So we're kind of basing this, um, off of a blog post that Sarah wrote for us. So definitely go check that out. It's our kind of, I think one of our recent ones, by the time this comes out, I'm not sure if we'll have some behind that at that point, but today we're going to really dive into like, why you should be caring about like agriculture in general. Sarah's going to kind of break down some of the terminology behind it. So let's just go ahead and kick it off here. And why should we even care about like agriculture, fresh produce in general? Like, does it relate to weight loss? Does it like relate to overall health? Does it relate to what, what things does it relate to that, that we need to care about? I agree. I think we should care completely about agriculture and we should be intentional about thinking about agriculture and the farmers and the workers and the processors and everybody and the distributors, the grocery store managers, everybody that had a hand in getting food to our plate. Think about that three times a day, three plus, you know, three meals and two snacks, like thinking about that five times a day. It's, it's easy to not think about it. Like we're very far removed from our food. Um, some of us don't even live in a place where we see agriculture. Um, I mean, me, I pass farms every day. You, I think you have some cows outside of your apartment, which I thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, like how Texas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you like, at least like are reminded like, Oh, cows food. Okay. Like we're not just eating and thinking about the food itself, thinking about um, where it came from. So I think we're pretty far removed from it. Um, and we take it for granted and just farmers and everybody involved in our food system, they give us the opportunity to have so many different choices, right? Like we get to choose if we want low fat milk or skim milk, we get to choose if we want blueberries or blackberries, we get to choose anything, right. Um, or what kind of label we want on things. We have so many different decisions. Um, and we can even afford to, you know, make a last minute decision and decide to go to the store on a whim. And we know that that product's going to be there. Like we have trust that our food system is going to deliver. Um, and it takes a lot for that to happen. So, um, I think we should care about agriculture and fresh produce, um, and just be intentional about thinking about it and maybe making an effort to try and buy more from those producers directly, try to give them more um, of a return on their, on their product. Yeah. Just giving them support and hearing them out, our producers. Um, what would you say the impact of caring about it is like, what does that result look like if we cared more about it? I say when you, I've worked at farmer's markets, I've sold at farmer's markets, um, when you go to a farmer's market, whether it be like open or closed, um, but those people that are standing there behind their, behind the stalls selling the food, usually they're the actual farmer themselves or they're like the farmer's kids or someone directly involved on the farm. If you just get into a conversation with them, they have such a different perspective on what it took to grow that food and they can give you great insight in what it took to grow it. So if you're involved in that kind of conversation, you both can understand food and you can learn some and you can have a different, um, greater appreciation really for what it took to get food there. Um, those people usually think about food in a different way, like not just calories, right? So you definitely are in the mindset of like, oh, this provides this many calories, but let's say you got in a conversation with someone 
and they can tell you exactly what it took to grow that tomato or, you know, what they did or did not do to that tomato or when it was picked, you know, they can tell you most everything about that crop that you're about to eat. So you have a greater appreciation for it and you're more likely to enjoy it or give it a chance to even try it, I think. Yeah, I feel like um, that kind of ties in with being a little bit more mindful when you eat. And we talk about this sometimes about how there are many different ways to celebrate food. Sometimes I find that Americans, we celebrate food in like a little bit of a gluttonous way. I don't know, maybe it's just like the way that marketing comes about, like, oh, let's go to like Don, like um, uh, Dunkin' Donuts and eat like, you know, alone, eat like a iced latte and a donut in your car. And sometimes we think that's the only way to celebrate food and why should we take that away? And it doesn't mean we don't need to celebrate food, but I think what I kind of hear you saying is there's still a way to celebrate food in this like healthier, mindful way. And even that could be like asking the farmer like about it or what, where did this food come from? Or how can I utilize this food? Or even what is this fruit or vegetable and learn about new ways to eat them? Is that, you feel like that, is that fair to say? Yeah, all of those things. I think if you do go to a farmer's market, a lot of them, when I worked, I definitely tried to have recipes. The market had a tent to itself. And so all the managers, we just got recipes together. We had activities. We had ideas of how to use the produce. We provided bags, like all to incentivize someone to buy more, to support more farmers, to actually use the produce Um, because like what we were saying in the beginning, like if you buy it all, it doesn't matter if you buy it all, if you're not going to use it, (laughs) um, it matters to the farmer, I guess, but you know, to you, you just wasted all that beautiful produce in your fridge, but we used to give out recipes and some farmers and vendors, if you just talk to them, they'll say, oh yeah, my favorite way to enjoy this or my favorite way to cook this, or this is not how I like that. I like to do it this way. They'll give you all of those tips. Right. And, um, they're so eager to share that because, if they're the producer, they just spent all this effort and time into making that thing. So it could be like baked bread or could be a vegetable, anything. Um, they put a lot of effort into doing that and they're proud of it. So they want to share. Um, so I would encourage you to get into a conversation with one of those vendors um, and see their insight. Can we define what fresh produce even means before going on? Because we'll probably keep talking about that word or phrase. Yeah. So fresh produce, I know you lump it into just produce, but that's fruits and vegetables. Um, And then on the wholesale side, it's funny, we consider like flowers sometimes and um, microgreens. Those are the first two that are not like a straight fruit or vegetable that I thought about that um, we distribute as fresh produce. So anything that you can think would be on a plate, like at a restaurant, like as garnish, things like that. Um, But it's fruits and vegetables, um, something that's perishable. Um, so not like freeze dried strawberries or like, I don't know, um, applesauce like that. You're saying that's not the same as what we're going to be talking, like referring to. Um, so when, if we're talking about farmer's markets, well, I have to have a disclaimer that, you know, I don't discriminate between all of the forms of produce. I work for a fresh produce company. I love working with fresh produce and exposing people to it. But I think frozen or flash frozen, um, canned and let's say freeze dried, like you were saying, um, are all different ways to get in produce. So I know sometimes you'll just say produce. So like an apple, sometimes applesauce can be subbed for it. If that's what you're looking for, that's okay with you. Um, but sometimes there is a place for the fresh item, right? Um, they have different applications. If you're looking for some crunch, then maybe the fresh one will do over the applesauce. Um, But I love to use frozen vegetables. And I think I probably, because I'm busy, I probably use frozen vegetables than I do more than fresh (laughs) at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Our clients love that too. Um, not having a lot of time, we're always talking about any ways they can get something in. So yeah, we're a big fan over here, pureed or smoothies or frozen or all of those things. So definitely okay with that. Um, what are some of the health benefits of going to a farmer's market? It's a farmer's market. You're going to have, hopefully it won't just be like crafts and hopefully it'll be a farmer's market, like with food and, you'll actually have something to choose from that's fresh. Um, so first and foremost, it's probably really fresh. It probably came from that farm and was harvested that morning or the day before, or it's not been out of 
the ground very often or very long. Um, right now, seeing the backside of our food system and seeing like on the distributor level, most of the food that we see in our grocery stores has been sitting there for quite a long time. Um, food actually kind of stays up for a while. So you think about it, it's probably been there for a week or two or maybe three if it's a really hearty fruit or vegetable. And then you take it home and you sit it in your fridge for a week or two. Um, like no wonder it's going to spoil because it's been uh, off of its vine or wherever um, for pretty long. So you can, you get an opportunity to eat something really fresh. And so you probably have like a longer shelf life on it. I think that's a benefit. You also, when you just harvest something, there is a taste difference. Um, so I would encourage you if there's a vegetable, let's say that you don't love when you've ever bought it, we'll try it and buy it super fresh from that vendor and maybe cook it in a different way and see if you like it that way. Uh, it doesn't hurt to try. I know in North Carolina, we, when I lived in there, I mean, I feel like we were just so connected with the produce. I don't know if North Carolina was like a more produce intensive state. You'd probably know better than me than Texas or if I'm just not aware of the things, but I know it was always so tasty to go get the strawberries like right off the vine. And my husband was like asking, he's like, so can we go do that this year? Cause the strawberries are always so much better when you just like get them straight off of the vine. I was like, I don't know if they even do that in Texas, but I totally agree that they are definitely tastier, which is probably going to make you more inclined to eat them, be more creative with it, which fruits and vegetables directly help with weight loss because they're so low in calorie and high in fiber. So I think that is a huge benefit um, as well. What about when we think about how it affects the whole family? A lot of our audience is um, our parents. And so we're starting to have to think of ways to also positively impact the whole family through kind of like our individual choices. Is there any relationship or anything that can help children um, or like, is there a relationship between like the helpfulness of children and like bringing them more to farmer's markets or anything like that? Do you think? I'm sure. I mean, I have not seen actual relationship um, or research saying if you bring them, there'll be better eaters or things like that. We just have like all this different causal relationship. And so um, I think so because well, we all know that children, they learn from our behavior, what we say and what we do. So um, if they see us going to a farmer's market, looking at produce, engaging, um, they're going to be more inclined to have a better attitude about it or even accept it more. Um, we do know that children, if they accept foods kind of at their own pace and it sometimes can take children up to like 20 exposures for them to accept a new item. So like my child right now, he likes um, green peas, but in a week he may not like green peas. So maybe like fresh. So maybe I'll have to work at like pureeing them. Well, if he doesn't like it, then I'm just going to keep trying to expose him in different ways to green peas. Or if he never has like broccoli. Well, I'm going to try and expose him to broccoli. Um, and it may take up to 20 different times. So I think farmer's markets are a great place for exposure to happen. Uh, just another way to expose a child. So what I mean by that is any kind of interaction that the child can have with the fruit or vegetable. And so that could be on their plate Maybe they don't like broccoli, but you just put it on their plate. They don't have to eat it, but it's there. They see it. And maybe that's your one exposure. You just do that um, every once in a while. Maybe you chop it a different way and it's still on their plate. They don't have to eat it, but it's there in a different way. You have an exposure there. Maybe they get to go to a farmer's market and they get to see the broccoli sitting out and they get to touch it and put it in the bag. All of those are different points of exposure say they take it home and they get to wash it. That's another exposure. Let's say they even get to cut it and steam it. Like those are all different exposures to um, get the child super excited about eating it then more likely. So if they have the opportunity to grow it even better, um, but if not taking them actually to somewhere where it's grown and where you can see it, um, I think the child will be more likely to accept it. And it might not happen that first time. That's okay. That's why you just keep doing it again and again. And again. Um, so yeah, and I think farmer's markets are, they're just an environment that is um, easy to have learning experiences. So you can guide them in an experience. Like 
asking them, well, what colors do you see today? Or if they know some names of fruits and vegetables, you can ask them to go find something like go find the carrots. If they get the opportunity to touch it, well, what does it feel like? If they have opportunity to taste it, what does it taste like? All those different things. Um, I just think it's kind of those endless opportunities for learning where they can learn to have a really good, exciting relationship with food and engaging with someone who grew their food um, or at least with the shopping experience and have a better appreciation like young, starting young. I know that we always as dietitians do like to point back to the research and it's hard because I don't know the research behind this either, but it totally makes sense about the more we're exposed to things and the better the relationship we can have with it. Because I hear all the time, I always ask in the beginning of our intake call, like, tell me your weight story, like whatever that means for you. And everybody always starts kind of from the very beginning. It's like, oh, my mom used to talk about this, about her body. So then I see you start to feel bad and blah, 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 blah. So I feel like that aligns well with what you're saying. Like let's, um, it, it could be very impactful for a child and growing up the rest of their life to have this positive relationship of what we can add in specifically with fruits and vegetables. I know that when I was a kid, we, I feel like I was set up in a really good way like that. And I know me and you talked all the time about like growing up in like really small towns in the South. And my great grandpa was a farmer and every summer we would have to go pick the corn. We would like scrape the corn off the cob. We would cream it, preserve it in this like freezer bag. And um, with all different things, we had like a persimmon lady where we had to like pulverize the persimmons and all this stuff. And I think that really did help. I mean, now granted how I thought about fruits and vegetables, they need to be smothered in butter, of course, but it made it so much easier. Like as I got to be an adult to still enjoy them and know how to cook them and maybe remove some of the butter, but you know, maybe not because it's still okay to eat that with (laughs) some flavorful food. So I feel like that definitely checks out. We'll have to like, look at the research behind it. But I know you had similar like stories yourself, right? Of like kind of growing up in more of like an agricultural area. Well, that is in the research, like up to 20, 20 ish times that about the exposures with Mm -hmm. children. That for sure is like, I don't know, you know, having them walk around. Yeah. I don't know if that's um, like in the research, but I definitely know like the child feeding that's in the research. And that's like, there's a lot of good pediatric dietitians out there that will, what, that work like just on the feeding experience with children. And like, that's definitely in the research. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, my immediate family are not farmers, but like, I feel like in our towns and our state, you know, someone who's a farmer, like directly. <laughs> um, so, but we always grew up with a garden, like kind of what you're saying. And I think that was like my first connection with nutrition like my first connection was not bad thank goodness you know it wasn't that my mom like had a bad relationship or like you were just saying the some of your clients say like it was a good one and it was kind of causal like oh we we put all this effort into growing something and then we get to enjoy it um like once or twice you know we only have a small garden so we get to enjoy this fresh cabbage like for two three nights like this is awesome and then just realizing like like how beautiful and how succinct nature is. And it provides everything that we need, like understanding and seeing the relationship beside like nutrients in our body and that plants and animals contain that, like, that's just amazing uh, relationship together. So that kind of blew my mind and it's still blowing my mind. And uh, that's what keeps me going um, in talking about um, farming and agriculture and nutrition. I just think they're so related. Like you can't just talk about one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, what are some ways, like, these are all great things to talk about. I feel like for an ideal world, but, um, a lot of people, our audience are really busy and you're really busy. I'm really busy. I mean, who isn't really busy, honestly, but, um, how, how can we kind of like bring these into play with people who are like really busy? Um, how can they maybe get like more involved in their local agricultural scene or farmers markets? One thing I've learned on the distributor level is that you're the customer of the grocery store and they're going to listen to you. So if you request for a grocery store to highlight more local produce or local meat or seafood or dairy or anything, they're going to listen to you. Um, And so I think that's a a great way customers can make a, a good systems change, you know, like just keep requesting it. Or, you know, if it's a higher in place that can afford to do that and wants to do that, well, then like keep asking. And so that, that makes a great, um, change for the farmer and opens up more opportunities. Um, but somewhere around you, you can find some kind of local agriculture. So if that means going to a you pick with your family, like the strawberries we're just talking about on a Saturday, then, um, that's one easy way to get involved with the whole family. 
Um, if you Google, I would bet like local agriculture near me or local farm pickup or delivery near me, a lot of farmers are um, delivering now and having to do that. Like it used to be um, that you would have to go pick it up at the farm. But I think a lot of farmers are um, having to deliver now to meet the need because we are so busy. Um, there is a thing, it's called a CSA, um, Community Supported Agriculture CSA. It's a program where uh, the community will support the farmer ahead of the season. So you would pay X amount of dollars, whatever the farmer is asking for, let's say $500, you would pay them up front of the growing season. So you would take some of the risk out of the farmer growing. So farmers, they're, they're always taking a risk because there's a lot of things they can't control. They can't control if their seeds, you know, germinate. They can't control if it was, there was a hurricane or no rain. There's a lot they can't control and there's a lot of risk. So you're telling the farmer, hey, I support you. Here's my $500, you know, here you can have money for um, your seed, all your inputs at the beginning of the season. And throughout the season, you're guaranteed to give me some of that farmer share. So I put in my money up front and then I get maybe once a week or once a month or whatever the farmer promised a box of products from their farm. So, um, and then you kind of have to be okay with whatever comes off the farm. So if they planted 10 crops and only eight of them did well. And so you're going to get those eight. Um, you just kind of have to be okay with whatever the farmer gives you. Or if all they had that week was sweet potatoes and tomatoes, like you'll have to be okay with that. So there's some flexibility. I have noticed that a lot of local farmers are doing like customized ordering because customers aren't really okay with you just like giving them whatever. They want to pick and choose their own food, which, you know, we can understand. Um, so a lot of farms are actually pretty modern now and that you can do that. So just use Google. Yeah. I think that, um, cause a lot of our clients live in large cities too. And I think that can make you even more removed, but I'm always amazed that sometimes the bigger cities, I know like San Francisco and New York and Brooklyn and stuff, they have like really great farmer's markets. So that could be great. But a lot of our clients use things like imperfect foods where they can just get all this stuff delivered every week, especially if somebody struggles with eating produce because they just forget to even add it to their grocery list. A lot of times that's my recommendation is to look for their local CSA because like if they forget to order, it's not a problem because I've already set everything up. So I think that's a great way to kind of add it in. Let's move on to kind of talking about labeling. So this is something that is, has, I guess, been a hot topic for a while, ever since I guess these labels really came about. I feel like it's another way to kind of like market fruits and vegetables. <laughs> so let's just let, let you break it down for us. Like what do the different labels mean? Like, should we care about certain ones? What is your take? So you listed out, we're looking at our notes and you listed out like the organic label, non-GMO label, and actually like regenerative, regenerative label, which that one's super cool. I'm going to talk about that one. Um, but I feel like we can start with organic because most people do know that. And there's like, so by definition, it's just a certificate from the U.S. Department of Agriculture that a farmer can have to put on their crop. Um, all different things can be certified organic. Meats fresh produce, eggs. And this is just, um, they have to apply. It's really expensive to apply and to keep up with this certification program. So a lot of small farmers won't, just can't afford to get it and don't see the benefit in getting it. So um, they might have organic growing practices, which the program states certain things they can and can't do or certain things that they have to do on their farm to get that, to keep that seal. By definition, it's just this program of things you can and can't do. So when we think of organic, we think of like, oh, organic food, it doesn't use pesticides. But the other food, which is called conventional grown, is conventional. Like you can use pesticides. You can use anything, herbicides to grow wheat or kill weeds. Um, but that's really not true. So in organic agriculture, you can use pesticides and herbicides. They just have to fall under this approved list. There's different quantities that you can use, but there's differences, but also just know that organic food can definitely use pesticides and definitely does. Um, and there's actually no difference really in nutritional content. So if you're buying organic food because you think it's healthier for you in the sense of nutrition and the nutrients in there, there is no difference. Um, there's a big price difference. And like I said, a lot of small farmers who might 
grow organically might not have the certification, so they can't legally put the seal on their items. Um, but again, if you get in a conversation with them at the farmer's market and you ask how it was grown, they can tell you exactly how it was and if if it is organic but not certified. Um, so that's definitely like the most hot topic one, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. I had actually a friend growing up that I ran cross country with and her dad was a farmer and cause I've been interested in like food forever as well. I like asked to tourist farm cause I was always like a nutrition geek even in high school. So he, I tour, yeah, <laughs> I toured his farm. Still. He just took me on the tour. Cause he used to give us eggs. He would like show up to our cross country meets and he's like, does anybody want any eggs? I have too many. Awesome. So yeah, <laughs> we toured him and he, like you said, he wasn't certified organic, but he's like, I do everything that organic is. I just can't afford the certification, but like, this is even a little bit better than organic. It was like a small family farm and that was his whole job. Um, so yeah, I think that um, I think that kind of goes back to even just like having more conversations with farmers and understanding really like what their take is on it since that's what they're doing. And then I'm glad that you highlighted like from the nutrition aspect that there really isn't a difference, um, at least scientifically. I, um, even at Meredith where we went to undergrad, um, they were doing research too, to, to like look at the nutrients in organic produce versus not like literally in a Petri dish. And they never really found anything either. So we never really have clients that ask about it, but I think it's still good if anybody's like worried like underlying, like, Oh, should you be paying more? I also never really promote trying to, because it's honestly just expensive. It's a little bit better to maybe put your money towards something else. I think. Well, if you think about it too, like it's a certification. So like farmers that grow one crop, like they only grow corn, they can still get certified organic. So they can grow one crop of corn, which is probably not the best thing for the environment to only grow one crop over and over again. Um, and so you know, organic doesn't mean small family farm, produce chickens in the back, like use the chicken manure to fertilize things like very holistic. It doesn't like show the big picture. Um, like it can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people for sure. What about, yeah, GMO? Oh yeah. Um, well, one thing about the organic too, is like, if you're paying more for it, just because you think it is healthier, um, well, that's fine. You can do whatever you want to, but just know that there probably isn't a huge nutrition nutrition difference. And one thing, because I work with a clientele that um, can't always afford fresh produce or any kind of produce, if they are scared into thinking that organic is better for them and they choose not to even eat a vegetable because they can't afford the organic, like that's just um, kind of a shame and like something that we need to be more aware of that we don't have to talk about organic, that it's just like the, the best and the end all be all because I would rather eat some someone eat a fruit or vegetable that's not organic than not eat it at all. Right. So yes, kind of staying away from like the dirty dozen, if you've ever heard of that, or, you know, just like kind of shaming food that's not organic. Yes, so. definitely. There's no need to put any extra stress on it. We can stress about other things, stress about getting your steps in or something that's going to make a bigger impact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So non-GMO, it's just another certification. It's actually, um, not from the U.S. Department of Agriculture that certifies it. It's like a an independent program. Like if you've seen the the butterfly label, it's this program that a farmer or a food producer would have to apply to and would have to grow or produce at certain standards. Um, but non-GMO means non-genetically modified organism. So genetically modified organism by definition is Someone, a scientist took that crop, took the genes of that crop, the DNA, and in a lab altered it in some way. And that's not a scary thing. Like that's actually the purpose of GMOs and how they're used a lot is for good things like the traits. So you took this corn, you see that, you know, it's beautiful corn, but it could be a little sweeter. Like maybe they tweaked something to make the corn a little sweeter or maybe they tweaked it to have less, be less resist or less, more resistant to bugs. So they don't have to spray as much. Um, like there's purpose and why someone would want to alter and um, modify the organism. So, um, but this by definition is by breeding in a lab. Um, so breeding happens just naturally too. So if you think about like corn back in the day didn't look like it did now. Um, like whoever was growing it hundred years ago, their corn probably was smaller and less sweet and probably only produced one ear of corn per stalk. 
And now over time, we've just kind of found that breeding seeds um, for the best variety of them over time and over generation every season, you can come up with a, a breed and a variety of seed that is naturally modified, genetically modified. And so that's not in a lab. Um, but the GMO label is just saying like, hey, this, this product, it came from a crop that in a lab, they didn't alter. And um, there's only like 10 or 11 crops in the U.S. that are genetically modified. So I can talk to those. And I just think it's funny, like sometimes you'll see like non-GMO salt or like <laughs> non-GMO water or non-GMO um, blueberries when blueberries aren't even approved to be grown in the U.S. and genetically modified, you know? So it's a lot of marketing for sure. Yeah. I think that's where our audience gets confused and stressed out about it is like the marketing from especially like it cracks me up too when somebody's trying to sell like a detox powder and they're like organic non-gmo i'm like yeah but that's been so altered beyond the point where like it yeah, used to like, even be. It's, it doesn't matter what it is it's yeah. Not <laughs> yeah but i think that um like people who don't know do kind of fall victim to like oh i mean they want to take care of their health that like they've heard that maybe it's healthier like i need to spend the money on it and then they don't have the money to really spend on a gym or something like that so i hear you kind of saying it's not really worth the the money like from a health standpoint to be spending money on basically just these labeled items is that right yeah or just being smart you know, um, now you have the information. So now you can just be smart. If you have the choice, you know, if you have the choice between the two, you can make an educated decision now. And like back to those crops, like that are GMO. I mean, it's, um, I'm reading it. Soybeans, corn, canola, like canola oil, cotton, alfalfa, sugar beets, summer squash, papaya, apples, and potatoes. And that doesn't mean like everything, every potato that you buy in the store is genetically modified, but there's only so many things. So if you have um I don't even see wheat on there so like your pasta it's non-gmo and it's made from wheat well of course it's not gmo because it's not even approved to be but um those items are modified for a reason and that's they're in our food system for a reason kind of mm -hmm. so yeah what about regenerative I don't even know what that is to be honest it's new and it's going to blow up very soon I think regenerative agriculture is super interesting and I really hope it doesn't blow up and start to be meaningless, kind of like organic. Um, mm -hmm. cause I feel like organic kind of, kind of lost its meaning or we associate organic with healthy and organic with pesticide, like regenerative is a lot more than that. So I really hope that if it does blow up, like it starts a conversation about agriculture in general. So regenerative agriculture is, um, an approach to farming where you're really thinking about all the systems and the whole health of everything involved in the farm. So I, I know they focus a lot on soil health, crops, animals, you yourself, like you all benefit from the soil. And if you're not thinking about putting back nutrients when you took them out with a crop or how a certain animal grazes on a land and how it treats the land, if you're not thinking about those kind of things, like your farm and yourself, you're going to suffer. So you know, just thinking about every single piece of the farm. So thinking like a whole ecosystem, a whole system together. So like the Department of Agriculture doesn't have a label for this. There is someone making a label for this. Um, I haven't seen it myself. I think it's by the Rodale Institute. They're putting a label on it. And so again, you have, you, the farmer or producer has to apply for it. So you meet the standards um, and it's probably a costly um, process. So I would talk to that farmer and they're probably farming in that way already. So just open up the conversation. But if someone were to see that in the grocery store, I think they could take it and ask themselves like, okay, it's regenerative popcorn or like butter covered popcorn. Like maybe I have some confidence that they grew the crop correctly. And they were thinking about the corn and growing different crops after the corn so that the soil doesn't suffer and they probably, you know, had animals on their farm to keep the soil health. And, um, but does it make sense like that I should spend money on like a processed food um, that's regenerative technically, or, you know, is it regeneratively grazed beef? Like that makes more sense, I think. Um, so I think they, they can have more confidence in that label, I think, I hope, and start to learn more about regenerative agriculture, just Google it. 
So it sounds like a little bit more holistic. Like you were giving the example with the organic corn, like it does, it might not even improve the health of the farm if you're growing that one crop, crop over and over again, but regenerative sound like it, they are thinking about something like that. Is that the difference? Yeah. Thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about some tangible things that we can really walk away from? So I think you gave a lot of really great information. I feel like we can make like whole podcast episodes on like, honestly, any of the things you just said, but, um, (laughs) with all this information, what are some tangible tips that people should walk away with that they can do like today or this week? Well, we talked about, we started talking about fresh produce. So I think if we can get just a little bit closer to the source and a little bit closer to the farmer producer, I think um, that helps you and the farmer. So if you can't visit a farm, um, visit a farmer's market. If you can visit a farm, please do. Um, and if you go to a farmer's market, get in the conversation and ask for to visit a farm and they let you, like you should take advantage of that. Um, and then I think we should be open-minded about new varieties of produce and how to prepare them. Um, and try them in different ways because just like children, like we need different exposures in different ways uh, to try produce. So, um, but yeah, I think get a little bit involved in agriculture. It doesn't have to be like that you're a farmer that can just be sign up for a local farm tour or go to a strawberry farm on a weekend. Um, just get a little bit more involved, the further away we get, like the more confused we get about how our food's produced. So if we can get one step further um, or, you know, read something or consume some kind of content about agriculture um, and all different perspectives about agriculture, I think that's great. Great. Yeah. I think an easy first step too to get involved is because uh, I feel like we don't always know where, like, I think all these farm tours are out there, but we can't always find them. I think like going to that local farmer's market and just asking if there's anything like that there could be an easy first step too. And again, just like tying this into weight loss is that um, being more aware of really where your food comes from is probably going to encourage you to eat more foods that are going to help with weight loss regardless. Yeah, eating more fruits and vegetables, eating more whole foods is going to be more fiber, less calories overall compared to a bunch of things that have been processed over and over again and have really cut all those foods out. So I think this is really helpful for a lot of people. I think you're a great resource to follow. So can we plug your uh, nutri- your nutrition Instagram account? What is the, yeah. the name of it? Yeah, so I don't have a blog to chat, but it's um, the Instagram. It's at Sarah with an H dot Hester dot RD. I think I just share a lot of pictures of my son eating and my son in the garden (laughs) recently and um, what I'm getting from my garden or different experiences um, with food on there. So yeah, come follow me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. You can follow her other uh, content that she makes for us on millennial living. She's doing a lot of that for us now in some blog posts and podcasts every now and then. So thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. Thank you so much for listening to the Millennial Nutritionist Podcast. For daily weight loss tips and nutrition information, you can find us on Instagram at the.millennial.nutritionist and on TikTok at millennial.nutritionist. If you find this information helpful, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who needs encouragement on their health journey. See you in the next episode.